Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. We're going to be continuing a sermon that we began last time as we are dealing with the events going on around us. This global call for global government and the Marxist activities going across the United States as we see politicians that are proud Marxists calling for Marxism instead of the freedom that we have enjoyed in the United States of America. And you see these Antifa thugs rioting in many of our major cities, by the way, Democrat-controlled cities, Democrat-controlled states that are allowing this kind of anarchy to go on unchecked. However, I hope that you're enjoying this series we've begun, and today we are in part two of the sermon, Connecting the Dots. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Now Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. He had inherited all of his father's advisors or magistrates or magi. And he had this dream. It really shook him up. He didn't know what it meant. And he said, I got to know what this dream means. Obviously, it has to mean something. So he called his advisors and said, man, I need you to tell me what this dream means. Now, remember, they hadn't been selected by him. They had worked for his father. He didn't know if he could trust him or not. So he said, tell me what my dream said. They said, sure, your highness. Uh, tell us your dream, and we will interpret it for you. He said, no, I've been to the Oklahoma State Fair before. I've seen those palm readers. I know that trick. I want you, since you as Chaldeans and Magi supposedly have a connection to the gods, well, then you should be able to commune with the gods and find out what my dream was. And if you tell me what my dream was, then I'll know you, you can tell me what it meant. And they said, how are we supposed to know what your dream was? Uh, somebody would have to be able to commune with the gods to know that, uh-oh, they just exposed themselves as being frauds. And he said, listen, if you don't tell me what my dream meant, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to tear down your houses. Well, that didn't go over well. It wasn't a popular day to be a, a member of the Magi. And they were going through, and they came and knocked on Daniel's door since Daniel was a member of the Magi. And the sheriff was there and said, Sorry, Daniel, we're going to have, you haven't been social distancing. We're going to have to arrest you. And Daniel said, Wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to kill us for this? We haven't had a chance. Give us a chance. So they got 24 hours, and Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, got on their knees and asked God for, for an explanation of that dream. And God came through and gave them the dream and the explanation. Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. Nebuchadnezzar said, That is spot on. I trust that you can tell me what it means. And Daniel shot to stardom when he explained what this dream means, this vision of this image with a head of gold, arms of silver, a belly uh, and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet and ten toes of iron mixed with miry clay. Folks, this was a revelation of God's snapshot of history. This period of time began with Jerusalem's conquest by the Gentile world ruler Nebuchadnezzar, and it ends when God reestablishes 
his rule, his kingdom of heaven on this earth through Israel and through the promised Messiah on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Now, folks, if you literally believe in plain teaching in the Bible, then you must believe that, that this will, in fact, literally happen. And I don't know how you can take God's dealing with Israel so literally to this point and then suddenly believe that Israel doesn't really mean Israel, that Israel now means the church, and that the promised land doesn't really mean the promised land, that the promised land now means heaven. I just don't think you can make that change in the middle of the stream and be consistent. However, that's not the point of the message today. That was just an editorial statement made in passing. Now, this period of time is called the times of the Gentiles. What a brilliant name. What does it mean? It means the time period in which Israel and Jerusalem would be under foot of Gentile control. Makes sense, doesn't it? The times of the Gentiles. Now, there were five Gentile powers identified with the first four of these kingdoms defined in the Bible. First, that head of gold was Babylon as defined in Daniel 2.38. Second, that arms of, of silver was Media Persia as defined in Daniel 8.20. Third was Greece as defined in Daniel 8.21. The fourth was the Roman Empire, as defined in Revelation 17.10. And the last, the fifth, has not been defined. But we know it is a confederation of ten kings that will be ruling the world in the last days when, while they are in charge, they will be destroyed and an eternal kingdom of heaven will be established through Israel with the Messiah ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Now, even with this image and revelation, Daniel is still assuming 70 years, which is what Jeremiah had said. So Daniel naturally concludes that these five Gentile powers will all come and go over a period of 70 years with the restoration of Israel and the Messiah as king. Is that fair, everything I've said so far? Does that make sense? Is everybody still in agreement? So now we fast forward from Daniel 2 to Daniel 9. Approximately 68 years have passed. Daniel is now an old man. But of the prophesied Gentile kingdoms, they were barely into the reign of the second Gentile power, which was Media Persia. And Daniel was perplexed. And he said, what's going on, Lord? Have you changed your mind? Have mercy on us. And he said this in the first year of Darius, of the seed of the Medes, when he was king, I, Daniel, I understood by reading the book of Jeremiah that he was going to accomplish the desolation of Israel and Jerusalem for a period of 70 years. And as he concluded, it wasn't working out. Has God changed his mind? He said, Lord, we don't deserve it, but God, your name's on the line. Your reputation's on the line. For the sake of, of your righteousness, not ours, for your mercy's sake, oh, Lord, please hear our prayers. And God sent an angel to give him the answer. And the answer was this, that their judgment had been multiplied by seven in accordance Leviticus 26. God had said, when I punish you, take it, humble yourselves, and move on. 
But if you rebel even after I've punished you. By the way, I remember my mom telling me when I was a teenager getting one of my last spankings. And by the way, she did her very best to beat the devil out of me. I'm not sure she succeeded entirely. But she said, if you fight me, you'll just make it worse. Because she was going to keep swinging that belt until she, I agreed with her. Israel had been taken captive, and God told them, hey, there had been a period of time in history through the times of Judges where God had sent a Samson or God had sent a Gideon to deliver them out of captivity. Not this case. And he told them through Jeremiah. He said, listen, you're going to be out of the land for 70 years. There's no arguing with it. That's the, that's the amount of time you're grounded. Just deal with it and don't try to fight me. But they did. They tried to rebel after about 10 years. And Nebuchadnezzar had to come back down and settle them down. And then about 10 years later, they tried to rebel again. And this time, Nebuchadnezzar came down and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple and everything else. But here's what happened in the process. Hey, God says, I'm going to break you of your pride. I'm going to break you of your pride. I'm going to multiply your sin times seven. That's what happens. Rather than 70 years, their judgment was now multiplied. It says this, it was now 70 times seven has been determined by the judge on Israel until the kingdom is restored. So Israel is going to be punished for the disobedience. All prophecies were going to be fulfilled. Hey, 70 weeks are determined upon the church. No, upon thy people, Daniel, and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem. For what? To finish your transgression, to, to pay for your transgression, which was just outright disobedience, to make an end uh, to, just, to justification for your multitude of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to finish all the visions and the prophecies, bring them to an end, and to anoint the most holy one, the Messiah, in the most holy place. 490 years, and it's going to be done. God gave Daniel a timeline. And that timeline began with a promised future command to return and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are Bible students, you know that this was not Zerubbabel's initial return under Cyrus, where about 50,000 Jews went back and initially started to resettle the promised land. This was not the time when the priest Ezra went back to lead a revival in the priesthood. This was very specific. This prophetic clock of God's dealing with Israel would begin ticking when Nehemiah, the cupbearer, returned to rebuild the city and the walls of the city. It was at that point in time, after uh, a certain period of time, as the clock was ticking, that the king would arrive, and with the king, the kingdom would naturally be established with the arrival of the king. And it was divided up into several parts. He said, first of all, seven weeks. Because this took place, the command to, to return was in 454 B.C. If you look 49 years from there, to, you get to 395 B.C. According to the Scripture, according to Usher's history and everything else, that is when Malachi concluded his letter, his prophecy, and that was the close of what we call the Old Testament canon. So after seven weeks plus another 62 weeks, then after that entirety of 69 weeks, the Messiah, the Prince, is going to arrive. And ladies and gentlemen, on the very day 
that God said it would happen. If you take 69 Jewish years and you multiply it times 360 days, which is what it took to make a Jewish year, and you did the math, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem Fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, Behold, here comes your king. He's coming humbly, bringing salvation, riding on, a, riding on a donkey's colt, coming over the Mount of Olives. Hey, there's your king. On the very day, this Jesus of Nazareth came riding over the Mount of Olives on the colt of a donkey. Jesus made what we call his triumphal entry. But Daniel also foretold that the Messiah would be cut off. That word karat, it means sacrificed, but not for something that he had done. Ladies and gentlemen, understand this, and this is very important. Jesus made a bona fide offer of the kingdom to Israel on the day they should have been expecting him exactly 173,880 days uh, from, the, from the commencement of this timeline. But the Jews rejected their king and crucified him. Folks, he had to be crucified. He had to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God. So on one hand, this had to be Jesus, the Lamb of God, had to die for the sins of Israel. And as John said, Said, not for our sins only, 1 John 2, 2, but for the sins of who? The entire world. God knew that it would happen, and he prophesied of it in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel 9, and other places. So the sacrifice had to happen, but Israel had no justification for rejecting her promised king. It was simply unbelief. One of the reasons why the church age is hidden in the Old Testament is that Israel couldn't say, well, look there, we had to reject Jesus. Otherwise, the church age wouldn't come in. No, there was no justification for Israel's rejection. It was simply unbelief. By the way, they were judged for it. Look what Jesus said as he wept coming into Jerusalem. And when he was coming near, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, Oh, if you'd known even the least of thy day, the things which belong to you, Everything, the promises that belong to you, but now they are hidden from thine eyes. For in the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies will build a trench around Jerusalem and surround the city of Jerusalem on every side. And they're going to bulldoze Jerusalem and destroy the city and take the children from within and not leave one stone upon another. Why? Because you didn't recognize the signs of the times. Folks, does prophecy matter? Oh, I think so. Jerusalem should have recognized the signs of the times. They didn't. Go on. And there shall be, by the way, this is the old Jericho Road coming down the Mount of Olives. This road leads to Bethany. They would have been on this road coming from Bethany that Jesus would have been riding, coming into Jerusalem or walking, coming into Jerusalem. And he said this, there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all Gentile nations, and Jerusalem shall be under the foot of Gentile control until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Remember we just referenced the time of the Gentiles as defined in Daniel chapter 9 just a moment ago. Daniel is told more. We see that the temple is destroyed by the people of the prince who shall come at some point in the future, according to verse 26. So what we've seen so far is that there were 69 weeks from the starting point until the Messiah would be cut off and the temple was destroyed. So that means, do your math, and don't do common core math, how many weeks are left? One. Very good, kids. Obviously, you all went to school prior to 1970. All right. 
So we still have this 70th week, seven years hanging out there. And the 70th week will begin when the prince that shall come establishes a covenant or a pact or a treaty or perhaps a trade agreement or something along those lines for one week, seven years. But in the middle of this final week, the sacrifices, in other words, the sin offerings and the uh, thanksgiving offerings, sacrifice and oblations will cease. Well, folks, if they cease in the middle of this week, that that means that they have to be reestablished. Now, let me tell you this. We don't have time to look at it because I am trying to be sensitive to the time. But according to Zechariah number 6, chapter 6, when the Messiah comes, he's going to rebuild the temple. So, over the period of time, this temple is going to be rebuilt over these first three and a half years of this seven-year period. And the Jews are going to think everything's copacetic, everything is good. Then all of a sudden, in the middle of this seven-year period, the sacrifices and oblations cease. And all hell breaks loose, as Daniel describes, as Jesus references in his Olivet Discourse, when you see the abomination of desolation. By the way, that word abomination refers to idolatry generally and the practices related to it. The abomination desolates God's holy place as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Well, what is that? When you see him stand in the holy place, then you'll know what's going on. Paul said this, one of these days, hey, don't worry, the tribulation ain't happened yet. It's not going to happen until the Holy Spirit be removed. And that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalting himself about all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Once again, the abomination of desolation. All hell is going to break loose for the last three and a half years. It is literally going to get progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. How long is three and a half years? Well, that's 42 months. Revelation. John writes this, 42 months. John writes this, 42 months, time and time again. It's the same period of time. So in the last days, immediately before the Messiah comes again, this time as he comes, it's going to be as king of kings, and every eye shall see him, and the Gentile nations shall mourn and not celebrate when they see him, according to the Olivet Discourse. Before this period of time, there should be this seventh, 70th week, a seven-year reign of the last global dictatorship and oligarchy of these toes in Daniel 2, also referred to as ten horns in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 17. And in all places, those toes and horns are identified as kings who will rule the earth through their front man, this super politician who becomes Satan's superman midway through this last seven years of judgment on Israel called the 70th week of Daniel. Now, folks, understand this. Man's nature has not changed at all over 6,000 years. It doesn't matter that we've got automobiles and cars, automobiles and air conditioning and indoor plumbing and all the technology, handheld computers like this. I mean, it doesn't matter that we've got all this. We are still the same sinful, covetous, greedy, untrustworthy lot of people. And man has always had a desire to rule the world, beginning with Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10 and going all the way through the last century when we clearly saw the example of Adolf Hitler, all with a desire to rule the world. Why? I don't know. 
I don't want to rule the world. I just want to be left alone and be able to go play golf. <laughs> but it began with that first global empire, Babylon, which, by the way, was a single nation ruling the world, followed by two nations working together, Media Persia, joined together to rule the world, followed by Greece, one nation, ruling the world, followed by Rome, one nation, ruling the world. But this last empire as a confederation of ten kings. And the Hebrew word is malach. It's not kingdoms. It's a different word. It's kings. So I don't believe that these are ten geographical regions. They could be. I don't believe that these are ten specific countries. It could be. But I actually lean towards, and again, right at the top of your notes, Acts 17, 11, you make sure that I'm right. Because of the terminology that's used here of these as kings, I see this as a confederation of ten George Soros's, Bill Gates, Rothschilds, Rockefellers, these supermen that you don't see in the headlines that are working behind the scenes. As a matter of fact, as we will get into, as time allows in future weeks, in Daniel chapter 7, it says these ten will take another, an eleventh, and put him out front as the front man. And he will be the focus. He will be the super politician. But as things go along, there's some disagreement as the miry clay and iron don't mix together. There's a lot of debate, a lot of discussions. There wasn't an absolute monarchy. There are ten guys working together that all wanted to be the chief, and they put their front man that's supposed to be working for them, and all of a sudden, Mr. Fancy Pants got to be Mr. Big Pants. And three of them said, hey, we need to get rid of this guy, but those three were taken out. The other seven came into agreement real quickly, and something supernatural happens midway through where this guy becomes the absolute dread sovereign leading this last global empire. They will have a short run, seven years. Now, folks, that doesn't include the period of time of their buildup. I think there's a lot of things happening right now in preparation for that period of time. But we certainly are not in that period of time. Now, there are yet two periods not immediately obvious at first glance in Daniel 9, 26, and 27. One, between the Messiah being cut off and the destruction of the temple. Now, we know historically that there was a period of time of approximately 37 or 38 years between them, but it's not shown in this verse. As a matter of fact, there's no punctuation in the Hebrew. This just goes straight through. By the way, there were no verse markings and chapter markings. This was just a, a letter that was being written. Uh, so we see Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the princess. So this period of time, we know there's 37, 38 years there, but it doesn't show in the text. And there is also a period of time between the destruction of the temple, which occurs after the Messiah is cut off, but before the offerings and oblations are obviously restarted and then stopped as the temple is desecrated, as he demands to be worshipped, this period of time is where we are now living. And just like this one is not seen in the Scripture, 
neither is this one seen in the Scripture. Because remember, the church age was hidden in the Old Testament. By the way, Jesus hinted of this very age when he showed up in Jerusalem early in his ministry. And he was in the synagogue. He grew up in as a boy. He asked for the scroll. And the actual period of passage of Scripture that happened to be that week's reading was from Isaiah 61. And as Jesus read... He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the year of salvation, the acceptable year of the Lord. He is in mid-sentence. It goes on to say, And the day of vengeance of our God. Then to comfort all those that mourn. And then we see evidences of the promised millennial kingdom down here. Jesus stopped in mid-sentence, rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the chief rabbi of the synagogue, and then looked at everybody and said, Today, this has been fulfilled right before your very eyes. Folks understand what he was saying when he stopped right there. Jesus, in his first advent, came humbly bringing salvation. The day of vengeance of our God is when God judges, pours out His wrath in that 70th week in order to establish His kingdom, which is talked about right here. So this period right here is also inferred by Jesus' action by rolling up the scroll and stopping there and saying, this part's done, this part, uh uh-uh, I'm not here yet. That's the second advent. That's consistent with this period of time in Daniel 9.26. Is everybody still with me? All right, very good. Now, check me out later. Go ahead. I just want to make sure I haven't lost anybody. And this same period of time is inferred when the prophet Zechariah writes about two times the king, the Messiah. That's king. The anointed one, the king, the anointed king, appears in Jerusalem. And they are obviously very different. So either Zechariah was really confused as what he was talking about, or he was talking about two different messiahs showing up, or, as we know, there's one messiah who's going to come twice. Zechariah 9.9 says, Hey, your king's coming. Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes unto you. He is just. He's bringing salvation humbly riding upon an ass and upon a colt the fold of an ass. Then, just a few chapters later, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. See this right here? The day of vengeance of our God. The day of the Lord, same time period, folks, is coming. And thy spoil should be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations. How many is all? Would that include the United States of America? Folks, let me tell you, after the rapture, America, you see how screwed up we are right now. That's with us here. After the rapture, what's left of America will goose step right into the the ideas of world government without any hindrance. All nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall be in captivity, and what's left of the people shall not be cut off. They'll be trapped. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. We look forward to being with you next time as we wrap up this message, Connecting the Dots. Until then, may God bless you. 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.